The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guest. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining the life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Hey, good morning, ACF Church. How are you guys? Good, good, good. How you doing? Post-Thanksgiving dinner. You guys made it to church, so welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're here. Um, if you don't know anything about ACF Church, you are part of one. Uh, you're one part of three different gatherings of people that call themselves ACF Church. We have a gathering at 9 a.m., and on Wednesday night, we have what we're calling our Wednesday night church plant. Um, you might have seen a card on your seat as you came in, and it said, uh, it said you're invited to Wednesday church. So you're like, what, I'm at Sunday church. Well, that's fine. Um, we're actually uh, inviting you to come to Wednesday if you can. We'd love to have you come be a part of that. If you're not a morning person and maybe you're busy on the weekend, uh, that's just an opportunity for you to go to church. Or maybe you have some friends that you think, I could invite them to a midweek thing a lot easier than a, than a Sunday morning thing because they're busy on the weekends. I want to encourage you to be a part of that. That's been a great gathering of people. We're only a couple months into that, and uh, it's just like a church plant. So if you've got kind of that pioneer spirit, the kind of person that likes to try new things and, and uh, be a part of stuff like that. We'd love to have you, um, even if you're not. Even if you're just a hardcore Sunday morning person, we're always looking for ways to kind of free up some space in this service um, as people are coming in and uh, always looking for seats because we're always kind of running out of room here. So if that's something uh, you would do, just talk that over with your wife if you're married or consider that if you're single, uh, come in and be a part of that service. We'd love that. But we are 10 weeks in to this series on James, and it has been a fun journey, you guys. I've been challenged, and if you have, uh, if you've ha have accepted the challenge that we set out at the beginning to read through the book of James once a week, um, I bet your life's kind of messed up by now. I bet that God has come in and he's screwed up all of your plans in a lot of beautiful ways, like he has mine. Um, we have read through the entire book of James, or we will have read through the entire book of James by the end of this morning. Uh, here on Sunday morning. And so it's been so good. And I'm excited. It's a good season to be part of the church. As we come into this Christmas season, uh, I want to I wanna encourage you to be here for this next series. Make it a commitment as a family to come every week and to be part of this gathering. And I think that God's going to really bless us as we do that. Um, James has been talking a lot about working out our faith, about an authentic, true faith and what that means. And so I think it's fitting that he ends this letter to this early church by helping them identify how to communicate and, and connect with God as you're going through trials, as you're trying to work in the trenches of your faith. And so we're going to talk a lot about prayer. We're going to talk a lot about what it means to, to connect with God. Um, and so as you showed up today, as you showed up, you walked in here um, you might have gotten up late, you've been stressed out this morning, trying to get the kids in the car, if you've got kids, trying to get the car warmed up and get to church, and, and you walked in here on Sunday morning, and have you ever come in and said, what am I doing? Like, like what is this all about? Do I expect anything to happen? Maybe that's you today, because I think that a lot of times we come to church and we're not so sure anything's really going to change, anything's really going to happen. We have a low bar for expectation. You're here just thinking about lunch. Maybe you're going to a movie later. You've got plans. And so we come in here very distracted. 
not expecting very much. And I think for most people, that's really what we get. We come to church and we leave and we at some point ask ourselves, why do I do that again? Why do I wake up early on a Sunday? Why do I go to church on a Wednesday? Why do I do this? What's the point of all of this? I think prayer is like that a lot. I think oftentimes we go to God in prayer. We say some kind of prayer when we're in a moment of need and we think, I don't know if that matters. I don't know if it's really going to make much difference at all. James would say that prayer is powerful. And so open up to James chapter 5, verse 13. We're going to read through this together and finish out the book of James. If you need a Bible, you don't have a Bible, you can find one of the black Bibles on the floor and you can take that home with you. You can totally steal Bibles from church. Um, I empower you to steal a Bible from church if you don't have one. So um, it'll be on the screen behind me too. But let's read this together. James 5.13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So I was traveling uh, last year. I was going to Portland for a conference. And so I've developed a bit of a fear of flying. Does anybody else hate flying? Anybody else with me? Okay, a few of you in the room. So I actually got in a plane wreck a few years ago, which is just, it's a wild story. I'll have to tell you about it sometime. But um, yeah, I, I made it. And it was, it was crazy. And people don't typically walk away from plane wrecks. But now when I hear planes and get in planes, I get a little anxiety. And uh, anyway, we were, we were taken off out of Anchorage. I, I got into the airplane and I have kind of this routine. I get the, Bo- the Bose noise-canceling headphones. Aren't those things awesome? Oh, they're just like a, a gift from God when you've got a two-year-old parked behind you on a long plane ride. So I put the headphones on. I just get in my own little world. I try to get to the next location. And so I sit down in my seat. And I get ready to put my headphones on. This lady over here, she goes, hey. And I'm like, hey. I'm thinking, do I know you? She's like, uh, what's your name? And I'm like, Brian. She goes, uh, where are you going? And I'm like, Portland, like you, you know, we're going to Portland. She's like, okay. Um, she's like, well, what are you going to Portland for? Just like super talky lady. I'm like, I got my headphones on here. And um, I'm like, well, I got this conference to go to. She goes, oh, a conference. She goes, well, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, busted. This is, always, this is always that question that it gets weird on the airplane. I go, well, okay, well, I'm a pastor, and so I'm going to, going to a pastoral conference in Portland. And she goes, she goes, well, I don't believe in God. I'm like, okay, well, thanks for letting me know. And uh, she goes, yeah, I just, you know, I went to church as a kid, and, um, you know, it's just not for me. You know, I, I guess everybody needs, like, a superstition. And, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, that's great. Uh, so... And so I get my headphones on here and, uh, you know, the plane takes off, off the tarmac here. And, and I'm just kind of gripping onto the, uh, the, the armrests. And it was a cloudy day. And there were some wind gusts that were hitting us as we're coming up into the clouds. And I'm always watching the flight attendant, right? I'm queuing off of her to know if we're going to die or not. And they always have this 
creepy smile on their face like yeah it's great the plane's bouncing up and down it's going to be awesome and so the plane's up and it's down it's left and it's right and I'm kind of getting a little sick and I'm bouncing I take my headphones off and I'm you know I'm waiting for the guy to come over the overhead and say we're just we're all going to die get ready and uh, and then we hit this this big bit of turbulence and the plane it rises and it falls and the lady next to me she screams out start praying pastor start praying (laughs) which is awesome Oh, I can't make this stuff up. I swear to you. And I, I, I just, I was shocked. I'm like, this is so funny. The irony of what just happened here is amazing. And I mean, it, it showed me a couple things, a few things. Actually, the first was that, you know, no matter how much we, we reject God, that there's still something in us that in a time of need hopes there's somebody bigger than us, Right. And so, and then the other thing that kind of, that that was in my heart as I was thinking about this lady is that, you know, it only takes a moment to go from someone who rejects God to someone who receives him. It just takes a moment. And for some people, it's a moment of fear like that. It can be a lot of different things. So James says, if you're suffering, if you're struggling, if you're needing to communicate with God, would you just pray? Would you talk with him like you would talk to anyone else. And so let me ask you a question. This is uh, church interactive time. So look up here, interact with me here, uh, play the game. If I asked you, do you think that you should probably pray more than you do? Would you say yes? Raise your hand. Who would say yes? Okay, like everybody and the people with their hands down, you're rebellious. It's okay. You can raise your hands later. So yes, we all probably could raise our hands. I should raise my hand. I wish I talked to God more. I wish I prayed more. And I have a lot of excuses my life's really busy, just like yours is busy. You know, I hear people say that a lot. I'm way too busy to pray. Or when I do pray, I get really distracted. Does anybody else get distracted when you pray? I made this commitment once to pray every night before I fell asleep, which was a really bad time to pray. So I'd lay in bed, and it's like, Jesus, thanks for my day. I can't really remember what happened, but I know it was good. Thanks for this house and my children. God, thanks for, you know, my, my dinner and these sheets? Oh, God, thanks for these sheets. And then, bam, I'm asleep, right? You wake up the next morning, you're like, I fell asleep on God, and you feel so horrible about it, which I'll tell you, if this is you, if you struggle with that, I think, bless you in that, I think God's cool with it. I think if you fall asleep and the last thing you did was talk to God, I think he's totally down with that. So if that's the time of your day that you pray, uh, more power to you. But maybe that's your problem. Maybe you don't know what to say when you pray. And so you start coming up with all kinds of special words and you start trying to quote scriptures when you pray because you're, you're convinced that if you say it right, if you do it right, God's going to listen. You know, we all know that one super Christian friend that when they pray, you feel like the heavens open up, you know, and the angels start singing and you're like, wow, I wish I could pray like that person, you know. Or maybe you're the person that prays when you blow it, when, when you mess it up big time. So God's kind of like that friend that you know you can always call when your life's a mess. So you're like, all right, God, I screwed up big time. I need to talk to you. So, you. so you get God in a room, you know, and you just you just dump all over God. And then you feel a little better. You know, it always feels better when you get it out there. And so you pray when things are a mess. Or maybe you're this kind of person. Um, maybe there was a time in your life that you knew you needed to pray and, and this was a really big deal. Like this was going to be the moment that God was either going to come through for you or he wasn't. And there was something big going on. And you had a deep need or a desire Maybe, some, maybe somebody was sick or you were dealing with some pain in your life or whatever it may be and you said, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to pray. And, and you prayed and you prayed fervently and you prayed 
with power and you prayed with tears and you, you pleaded with God to be involved in your situation. And it, when, when it was all said and done, God didn't do what you had hoped He would do. He didn't respond the way that you hoped He would respond. And that was when you decided that prayer doesn't really work. It's really just a waste of time. Maybe that's you here today. Um, what's interesting is in our nation, which is increasingly becoming post-Christian um, as a nation, if you ask people if they believe in God, many people would say no. No, I don't need that in my life. I don't believe that there is a God. But if you ask how many people believe in prayer, a lot more people would say, yeah, I believe in prayer. Isn't that interesting? And some of you saw this the day of the Paris attacks. If you're on social media, you watched your news feed blow up with pictures, and they all said what? Pray for Paris, right? And you saw somebody that posted a picture that said pray for Paris, and you're like, you don't pray, right? I know you're judging them, right? Yeah, I know you don't pray. Uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's in the culture. People are, there's something about prayer that people believe that we should be praying, and it's so interesting, the society that we have that rejects God but believes that prayer is important. And then, so that next day, I was watching this, uh, this political convention, and they got up front, and uh, then they said, hey, we know the Paris attacks have been going on. It's on a lot of your minds. We're going to take a moment of silence for Paris. And so they did. They took about 30 seconds of silence for Paris. And I'm watching this on TV, and I thought, this is kind of sad. I thought, is this all we've got? Silence? We're going we're gonna to think happy thoughts for Paris? We're going to think happy thoughts for the world that we live in? Is this... Is this really all we've got is silence? Because in my mind, I feel like it, it, it makes a lot more sense to believe that there's a God that is all-powerful, all-knowing, fully loving, that's out there somewhere that hears the prayers of his people. To me, that makes more sense than silence. So I don't know where, where prayer fits into your life today, but I would say that inside of most people is this suspicion that there is a God and this hope that when we speak to him, he listens. And, and as we're going to get into his, to this, James is going to make it so very clear that prayer is extremely powerful. So let's start off today by praying together. God, uh, we love you. And um, God, thanks that we can gather here today. Um, God, we've blown it in a lot of ways this week. And in many ways, none of us have any right to be here. Um, None of us have any right to be here. And yet, God, we can gather as the church uh, with our doubts and our fears and our issues, and we can come together as one community, uh, all in need of grace. And God, you will give grace to those who ask for it. So we ask for it today. God, as it comes to prayer, this is a big topic. God, get me out of the way. Um, I confess I don't completely understand how you work through prayer, but I see it work. So we come before you asking you to speak. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So book of James. This has been fun. James has been all about real faith. All about pushing your buttons if you are religious. If you're the kind of person that comes to church and goes home and nothing changes, nothing's different, James has pushed your buttons. That was the whole point. He's a pastor. He loves people. And he, he's, he wants to push you beyond this this 
fake belief system where it doesn't really impact the way that you live. And as a church, that's our desire. We, we don't want to be these mindless people that come into the church and leave the church and don't really do anything with it. You know, like religious zombies, we kind of walk in and we walk out. We want to be people who are impacted by the gospel. But it takes work, right? And it takes a desire to hear God and to do the hard work at home. Uh, James 2 says, Oh yeah, you believe God is one? Well, even the demons believe in that. And they shudder. And I would say that for many Christians today, that, that, that we have this kind of faith. Many Christians would say, yeah, I believe there's a God, sure. But James says that's not enough. Because even the demons believe there is a God. You have to take it a step forward and put faith in that God. Lay your life at, at the feet of that God. Trust Him. And so we pray, we, we go to God and we say, God, would you help us in this time? As we try to follow you, we know that we can't do it well. Um, you, you have probably tried to do something this week that was different. You probably tried to, to kick some kind of bad habit or make a different decision, and you probably blew it at one point or another. And, and so that leads you to this point where you've got to say, okay, God, I need your help. Uh, the, the great C.S. Lewis said this, he said, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time. Waking and sleeping, it doesn't change God, it changes me. Which I really love that quote. What C.S. Lewis is saying is this. He says, I'm so in tune with my depravity. I'm so in tune with my weaknesses and my inadequacy that I just pray. I can't help it. It's, it just flows from my life. The need flows from me all the time because I need grace. And is that you today? Are you in tune with yourself to the point that waking and sleeping, you just cry out to God because you know you need Him? And then he makes this interesting statement at the end. He says, it doesn't change God, it changes me. Now, now certainly God doesn't change. One thing we know about God is He is unchanging. The character of God will always be the same, yesterday, today, and forever. But what does change are our circumstances. Our circumstances change all the time. And certainly when we pray, it changes our hearts towards that situation and towards God. And we're going to get to that more in a minute because it brings up a really big question, then why pray? Why pray? Like, like if, if prayer doesn't change anything, why pray? What's the point? Verse 13 says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So, he starts off by saying, hey, I don't know what's going on in your life. Maybe you came into church today and life's going really well. You know, everything's running on all cylinders. Your family's healthy. You're getting good grades in school. You've got a roof over your head. You just had, you know, turkey dinner. Life's okay. We're coming to, into Christmas. You're happy and cheery. He says, if that's you, you should pray, which is really counterintuitive, isn't it? Like we, we pray when things are a wreck. It's hard to really pray when things are going really, really well. He's saying, if life's going well, you know what you should do? You should praise God. You should worship Him. And, and, and it's interesting, we just prayed uh, just a minute ago. We got up and we stood and we sang. And I don't know if you realize this, but when we sing these words, we're literally praying to God. We're speaking things to God. And so if you're here today and you're a guy and you're like, I don't really get the music thing. You know, I don't really sing in my life. I don't really like to sing. You know, it's too loud. I don't get the guitars. Like, what's the whole point? You know, here's the thing. It's just praying to music. That's all it is. We're saying things to God and we're honoring him with our lips. And so if you don't connect with God through music, that's cool. 
Speak the words. Contemplate what we're saying to God. Let those things penetrate your hearts. And he also says, hey, if your life's a wreck, are you suffering? You should pray too. In all circumstances, you should be speaking to God, whether you're doing really good or things are really bad. I, I heard it said like this, that prayer is like opening up your rib cage so your heart can breathe. Which I like that. It's like letting your heart out for a few minutes. Which in a society that prides itself on authenticity and honesty, and oh yeah, like I'm just going to be the real me, there are really uh, a few places that you can be yourself, aren't there? few places that you can truly be honest. I hope the church is that place for you. I hope you come here and you have no need to put on a facade and act like you've got it together. So pray in all circumstances. Connect with God. Let your heart breathe a little bit. Verse 14, he says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let, him, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So now we're involving the community of God. So he's saying, Anybody here sick? Anybody? So we need to pray for you. We need to be praying over you. So we have these prayer cards that we, we talk about every week because there are people that pray for your needs because we believe that prayer works and prayer is powerful. We also have elders. If you don't know what elders are, uh, ACF Church has an elder team. I'm not the only guy in charge around here. Thank the Lord. Uh, there are people like yourself who are the spiritual leadership of our church who, who we get together with every couple weeks. We pray for you. We talk about what's next for our church. So go to the elders. And here's the other thing that's interesting in this. He's talking to the church and he makes the assumption that you're in, the, in a community. Like you're in the church. This whole gathering with the body thing, he makes the assumption that you are part of that. That this isn't just some kind of addition to your week. This is a really important part of what we do. And I get this, I'm a millennial, I get the whole like personalized faith thing. I get the whole like, yeah, I worship Jesus and I do church on the mountains. I do church when I'm fishing. I do church at home, you know, hanging out. I totally get that. But understand, that may be worship, that may be prayer, but that's not community. It's not the church. Like, we need the church. You need to be in the church so that when you get sick, you got somebody to pray for you. You already know the church. You know people around you. So there's a few people involved with this. The first is the sick person. And what's interesting here as I was reading this is it puts the responsibility on the sick person. He says, if you're sick, go and talk to the elders or fill out the card. Ask to get prayed for. It's your responsibility. It's not the elder's responsibility to, to walk the streets saying, is anybody sick? I'll pray for you. He's saying, hey, church people, if you're sick. We'd love to pray for you, but you got to ring the bell. Like, let us know so that we can pray for you. The elders are involved here. The elders are people who are willing to pray, ready to pray, ready to anoint people with oil. And what's interesting about this whole thing is it wasn't until later in church history that this was an act that was reserved for the religiously elite, like somebody with a title next to their name. Like originally, this was something anybody would do. You want, you got a friend that's sick? Pray for him. Get some oil. Anoint them with oil. Pray for them. You can do that. You need to understand, like, your prayers are no more powerful than mine. And mine are no more powerful than yours. So we both talk to God, and He hears us. The last 
last one involved here is the community. What's your job if you're like, okay, I haven't prayed for anybody lately. I'm not an elder. What am I supposed to do? As the community, what you're supposed to do is create an atmosphere that welcomes the sick, which I love that our church is this. I think our church really does this well. I think that in the DNA of ACF is this understanding that this is a pretty sick church, (laughs) that we're all kind of a wreck. And we're all kind of a mess. And sure, we come in here on Sunday morning and try to act like things are together. But, you know, at home, we know. We know things are a mess. Um, I don't know if you want to hear that if you're looking for a church. I found a sick church this Sunday. Yep, you did. You're at the sick church in Eagle River. Um, But we are. Aside from the grace of Jesus, we're a mess. We are. And so we know that. We own that. But we own Christ. We own what Christ has done for us. And we pray for each other because we need a lot of prayer. So that's what you do. Create an environment. Where you're like, hey man, I know that maybe you feel like you would never fit in in a church. I know that you feel like there's stuff that you've done that would, you know, like God would strike you with lightning if you walked in the church doors. Like, I know a place that you can go. And I think that we've created that kind of environment. And then what's up with the oil? That's the question, right? What's up with the oil? Is it like magic oil? Is it special oil? Is it like 10W30, Valvoline? Like, what is this? What, does it have to be a certain kind of olive oil? What, what is up with the oil? I think it's a few things. The oil is a ritual. It's, it's, it's something that kind of sets your, your eyes on things above, and it reminds you that you're doing something here. There's this holy thing of speaking to God and, and pleading with God for, for your neighbor, for your friend. It's kind of like uh, the, the famous swimmer Michael Phelps. He was known for his pre-swim ritual, the music he would listen to. He'd get up to the line. He'd swing his arms, right? This is all part of his ritual of preparing himself to get himself kind of in the zone. So there's something about this, this, this routine of anointing with oil that kind of got people in the zone. Like, this is a really important thing. There's power in this. There were also medicinal properties to oil in their time. They'd mix it with myrrh and all kinds of different spices and things. And there were medicinal properties of oil. And so they would treat people often with oil. It's also a symbol it's also a symbol. Oil, to create olive oil, you had to crush the olives to get out all of the oil and the bitterness. And for many people, that's a reminder that Christ was crushed for us, for our healing, to make us well, both spiritually and physically. That's why Christ died for us. Verse 15, and in the prayer of faith, this is where it gets kind of interesting, will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now just read that. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Did he just say that if I have enough faith, I can heal or save somebody? Like, did he just say, like, if I'm strong enough, if I can pray well enough, if I'm righteous enough that I can heal somebody? See, here's the thing. I don't think this is a blanket guarantee. He's not saying at any moment that you can control God, that you can tell God what to do, and if you believe strong enough that that He'll do exactly what you want Him to do. But He is saying that this is a very real possibility. It's a very real opportunity that we have as we go to God in prayer that people will be healed in response to prayer. Um, One of our pastors, uh, Stuart, he's our new discipleship pastor, he was telling me a story Wednesday about how he was prayed for as a kid. He had asthma, and he was prayed for, and in many, many ways he was healed. His asthma didn't go away, but he said his, his asthma changed dramatically after he was 
prayed for. Maybe you've got a story of, man, I was prayed for this one time and, and it changed everything. But understand that this passage isn't telling you, yeah, you can rub the, the, the bottle and get the genie to come out and he'll do exactly what you want him to do. That's not what this passage is saying. Like, prayer is never about giving God our agenda. It's about getting his agenda. And we need to know that. It's so important that you'd go to God and you'd be listening as much as you're talking. That you're hearing God going, God, what are you doing in this situation? Here's what I want. Here's what I'm asking for. But what are you doing? And this is so important because I hear people say things like this. I'm believing God for good things. You hear people say that? Or I'm believing God for a healed leg. Or I'm believing God that I'm going to win the lottery. You know, or I'm believing God you know, for, for a wife, you know, and I'm, I'm believing God for a husband. I'm believing God for uh, favor at work. But here's the thing, like, you can believe Brian for a lot of good things, and I'm still going to cut you off in traffic. You need to know that. Like, I'm still going to just do what I'm going to do. You mean, Brian, I believe in you. That's great. I'm going to mess that up. That's for sure. Now, I'm not saying God's going to mess anything up, but he's, he might not do what you believe him to do unless he's told you and promised you that he's going to do it either through his word or through prayer. So understand that, like, don't just believe God as if we can control him. God's agenda is what's important as we pray. The other thing we want to believe is that maybe God, maybe God would answer my prayers if I believed hard enough. Like, maybe if I was strong enough and I convinced myself enough that God would do what I want him to do, he would do what I want. But verse 15 says this, and the Lord will raise him up. Who will raise him up? The Lord will raise him up. Not your amazing prayers. Not how convinced you are, the, the strength of your will, but the Lord himself will raise him up. And this is really important to understand because some of you are dealing with shame in your life because you prayed for somebody once, or maybe it was that prayer a long time ago that God didn't answer. And you said, you, you thought to yourself, if I could have just believed harder, if I could have just grit my teeth and, you know, think that God will do what I want him to do, then maybe that's what a prayer of faith is. And God would do exactly what I want him to do. No, see, it's God doing the work. It's not you. Prayer in and of itself is a symbol of your neediness. The fact that the woman in the plane prays, you know, or tells me to pray, like, go to God pastor planes going down like it's a symbol of your neediness you go to god because he is greater than you because you need help because you know you can't do it on your own do you know that person that prays and it it seems like god always answers the, their prayers like that person that when you're sick you want to go to that person and you want them to pray for you like you're kind of like i don't know i feel like they've got some something special like i feel like god God works through their prayers more than anyone else's prayers. Do you think that that's because they're guiding God or because God is guiding them? I'd say it's because God's guiding them. I'd say it's because God is working through them and they are obedient in their prayers and they're listening as much as they are speaking. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words this is so this is so cool think about how the holy spirit has this way of communicating for us to god when we don't even know what to say like god hears us when our prayers are just Ugh. have you ever done this have you ever gone home like after a long day 
Have you sat down with your wife on the bed and you're just like, ah, and she's like, ah, and you're like, ah, and you guys have a whole conversation just like, ah, and you you know exactly what each other are are saying. It's kind of like this with God. It's like the Holy Spirit hears us just groaning. We don't even know what to say. And, and he just groans with us and towards God. And God knows what he's saying because there's this relationship and this understanding between each other. So again, it's a reminder that this isn't about the strength of your praying abilities. This isn't about how good you are at articulating your needs. It can be a groan that can cause a miracle to happen. Verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So now we're mixing both bodily sickness and spiritual sickness. He's like, I've been talking about how you need physical healing. Now we're going to talk about spiritual healing. So confess your sins to each other. He says, therefore, since prayer is so powerful, since we've said God hears your prayers, you need to confess your sins to one another so that you can get prayed for, so that you can get healed. But it starts with confession, which I think in our evangelical society, we, we have lost this idea of confession. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever looked around this room. This room in the back corner, guess what that was? A confessional. This is a Catholic church that we purchased, and that was the confessional. I don't know, we, we might need to put it back in service or something. You know, maybe that would be really good for us to be able to get in there. And there's, you guys know that there's something powerful about getting it out there, isn't there? You've maybe heard it said like this, you're only as sick as your secrets. And secrets keep you sick. It's hard to bottle those things up inside. It's hard to keep secrets. James is like, confess your sins to each other. Let your heart breathe. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just truly let your heart breathe? Some of you are afraid of that. Maybe you think, I don't know what happened, Brian. Like, I've kept this bottled up for a long time. And I don't even know what that would look like. I think some, some people here probably need to go home today and you need to just get in a room you need to shut the door and you need to have some time with God and you need to let it out. Let your heart breathe. I mean, and it might be messy (laughs) and there may be, you might cuss a little, right? And there might be some screaming and some tears involved. If you were to just let it out, maybe you've got a friend, maybe you've got people in your life and I hope that you've developed relationships where you could do this with somebody where you're like, listen, bro, I haven't told anybody this, and I just got to let this out. I don't know what it means. I don't know how to step forward. I don't know how to fix it, but I just, I got to tell somebody it's burning a hole in my soul to keep it in. But that's what it does. So I'd encourage you, let it out. Let it out. Be honest with somebody. Let your heart breathe so that you can get prayed for. Choose wisely who this is. And if you don't have that person, if you're here today, you're like, Brian, I just, I don't really trust anybody like that. I don't really know anybody like that. I think that's a great reminder of how important this community is and how important it is to be in an ACF group, how important it is to spend time after church instead of running to your car and get to know somebody, talk to people. Over time, you're going to develop relationships and trust, and you'll be able to have this kind of relationship with somebody. So confess your sins to one another, but understand this, confession is powerless without repentance. Repentance is another kind of churchy word. It it simply means to rethink that part of your life. I mean, some of you are in this routine. You go to church, you feel like kind of dirty from the week. 
You've made some mistakes. You go to church, you, you confess to God. You're like, all right, God, forgive me. I confess, here's my sins. And, and you go up, you take communion, and then you just kind of feel better until Monday morning rolls around. You're like, oh, I just need to go back to church. I got a whole list again. I'm still, I'm just a mess, you know. But, but what we're doing is we're saying, God, would you bless me in my, in my sin? Would you bless this horrible decision I'm about to make? It doesn't make any sense. Um, I was thinking about this. Thanksgiving was good, wasn't it? Oh, man, I hope you got some turkey Thanksgiving. I hope you ate until you were a little sick. I hope you enjoyed the food. But I, I looked it up this week. The average American consumed 4,500 calories at Thanksgiving dinner. 229 grams of fat. Your Thanksgiving dinner was like eating three sticks of butter. Just, isn't that awesome? Oh, it's so good. And everybody's like, yes, it was. I loved every bite of it. It was so good. Well, here's what's so funny as I was thinking about this, is that on Thursday, there was more prayer in American homes than there has been the entire year, wasn't there? Some of you know this, like Thanksgiving's like this in your house. Maybe you've got families who uh, aren't believers, aren't Christians, but, but everybody kind of stands around the table Thanksgiving dinner and they're like, uh, okay, Thanksgiving, uh, Uncle Bill, uh, you've been at church in the past year, haven't you? Yeah, Uncle Bill, would you, would you pray for, uh, for the meal? And he kind of mutters out some prayer, amen, let's eat, you know? And there's just this sort of thing that happens where people get around the Thanksgiving dinner and they're like, we should probably thank somebody <laughs> for all this amazing food that we're going to eat. And then we eat it, and it's 4,500 calories, and it's 229 grams of fat. And we say, dear Jesus, bless this food to our bodies and our bodies to your service, right? It's so funny, but I feel like we do that a lot. I feel like we're like, we're getting ready to participate in something. We're getting ready to, to let in this, this junk into our lives. We're like, God, just, just bless me. Or I'll just confess it later, and I'll feel better. I think God wants us to repent, which means to rethink that area of your life, which means to change the trajectory of your life, even if it's just by a little step. And my prayer is that every Sunday morning when you come here, that you hear something and you're like, you're going to make a step. And it may be a little step, it may be a huge step, but you're going to take a step in the right direction. But then he says this, which is really challenging. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. So this is where a lot of, I think, some of our misunderstandings of this comes from because we're like, okay, well, I want powerful prayer. I want to find a righteous person. Where are you? Who wants to pray for me? I need a righteous person. Anybody? I, need, I got some pain in my leg. I need prayer from a righteous person. You know, and so you go track down the godliest looking person that you can find and you're like, you, you need to pray for me because I think it's going to work better than if this schmuck over here next to me prays for me. Like if you pray for me, I think it's going to work. So we go find somebody that we think is righteous. Romans 3 says this. None is righteous. No, not one. Verse 11. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Well, that seems kind of hopeless. So then how do we get prayed for? What do we do? We can't find a righteous person to pray for us. What does this mean? What's he talking about? You see, we're only righteous because of what Christ has done for us. And if, if your prayers work, it's not because you are good, it's because Christ is good within you. And what he's saying here, just like Abraham, we read that Abraham was a sinner, just like all of us, but he was righteous because of his what? His faith. 
It says his faith was credited to him as righteousness. And so what he's talking about here is not that you would, you would only get the good person or the seemingly good person to pray for you. Or like, hey, if you just fix your life up enough, God's going to hear your prayer. Because guess what? That thing that is glaring in your face, that thing that you need to fix, as soon as you fix that, God's going to show you something else. That's the process. That's the journey we're on. Like at no point do you nail this whole thing. At no point are you holy aside from Jesus. It doesn't happen. But only by the righteousness of Christ are your prayers ever heard. Does he ever respond to your prayers? And so to pray in faith simply means to pray trusting in God. Trusting it in God. It's like, I'm going to ask for this and I'm going to, I'm going to leave it in your hands, God. I'm going to trust you. Just as we talked earlier that true faith isn't lip service to God. It's not coming to church on Sunday. It's actually trusting God with something in your life. That's what it means to pray. And then, and then James goes on to a, uh, an illustration of this because he's a pastor and he likes to tell stories. His pastors like to tell stories. He talks about Elijah in verse 17. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. What's that mean? Elijah was a sinner. Just like anybody else, he had a nature like us. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. So at first glance, when you read that, you're like, okay, I want Elijah to pray for me. He can stop the rain. That is awesome. He is a really good prayer. I mean, that's when I first read that, I'm like, man, that's the guy that I want to go to. He can pray and God listens. But it's so interesting. If you read this story, and it's a great story of King Ahab being this really um, pretty evil guy. Uh, the Bible says evil, more evil than anyone that had come before him. And uh, God was, was disciplining them and his people for worshiping other gods. And so he said, I'm going to take away your reign because you guys need reign. And then Elijah was the messenger. So he goes and tells the king. And then as usual, somebody tries to shoot the messenger. You know, so he's like, I got to run for my life. He lives in the wilderness. It's, it's a crazy story. He gets fed by ravens and this widow who takes care of him. And then finally he goes back and he says, okay, the rain's going to come. But, but it's interesting as you read this story, what you don't read about Ever in the whole story is Elijah praying. So James says he prayed and see what, hap see, see what happens when Elijah prayed. You read the story and you read that he didn't, like we don't read about his prayer. It's much more about what God is doing. See, I think what James is trying to do is not, he's not trying to elevate Elijah and say, look at Elijah. He prayed and God heard him. He's trying to elevate the power of prayer. Because what Elijah did is he aligned himself with what God was doing. And I believe Elijah was praying. I believe he was praying in those times, but I believe that it was because he was listening to God and praying if the Lord wills, as James says. Praying in God's will. So why pray? Why do we pray? What's the whole point? Because I think that prayer is one of the greatest responsibilities and one of the greatest pleasures of the believer. To be able to communicate with God himself. What a gift. What a gift. So if you struggle with this, I've got a few ways to help your prayer life. This is super practical. The first is pray specifically. Pray specifically. James says this. He says, we do not have because we do not ask. What if God today is just waiting for you to ask? What if he's just saying, hey, if you would just come to me and ask, I would hear you. Come to me. I've got a three-year-old little boy, 
And when he comes to me, he always knows what he wants. Never any doubt about it. I got a bag of chips. He comes up and he goes, I want that. Okay, good to know. Good to know. See, I think a lot of people pray like some kind of illegitimate children that have no business going to this all-powerful God that's probably way too busy for our little needs. When if you're a parent, you know that you want to know your children's needs. You want to know their hearts. You want to know their desires. You're not inconveniencing God with your prayers. So when you pray, then pray specifically. Okay, well, I, I know exactly what I want then. I'm, going to pray. I'm not just going to pray, God, would you just bless my family? I'm going to ask him to heal my marriage. I'm going to ask him to help me as I try to discipline my children. I'm going to try to, try to ask God to help me in my friendships so that I can love people better to kill the pride that's in my life that keeps me from serving people well. I'm going to pray specifically instead of just shotgunning prayers. Number two, pray bigger than you. Pray bigger than you. James says this, he says, when we ask, we ask wrongly to spend it on ourselves. Now, if I were to ask you what percentage of your prayer life in the past six months has been about you, what would you say? How much of your prayer life is spent trying to make yourself more comfortable or yourself more happy. Now, there's a place for that. Understand, there's a place for that, but your prayers need to be bigger than you. One of the songs we sing, it's called Hosanna. We sing, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. And so if you're like, yeah, Brian, I'm pretty much all I think about, <laughs> if I'm honest. That's pretty much all I have to pray about. Here's, here's a prayer. God, break my heart. Break my heart for what breaks yours, so that when I see things, I pray for them. Things outside of my own life and within my own life. Pray bigger than yourself. Number three, pray on your knees. Not a metaphor. Pray on your knees. Ephesians 3.14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, Paul himself. One of the greatest influencers in our faith is a man who goes to his knees in prayer. One of the things that many people know about James is he was known as uh, old camel knees because of the calluses on his knees. People used to call him camel knees, which of all the things to be known for, that's pretty awesome, right? I mean, if you're a believer in Jesus and people are like, dude, get some new pants because your jeans are all torn up. You're like, yeah, it's because I'm praying all the time. If you could actually honestly say that, that'd be pretty awesome, right? This was James. He had this early church that was a wreck. People were fighting with each other. People were trying to kill him and kill them. He's a man of prayer. Be on your knees. And, and so here's the thing. Like, I get that this seems weird for some of you. Like, uh, maybe it seems a little undignified. But, like, this, this is an interesting spot. Anybody take a self-defense class before? To be on your knees, like, this is a, this is a place of submission, isn't it? When you are in a self-defense class, what's the first thing that they tell you? Like, if you're on the ground, get on your feet, right? Because this, this, this is a bad place to be if you're in a fight. But this is the best place to be if you're praying to God. Because it's like your body is reflecting what's happening within your heart. It's like, it's like what's in your heart is kind of coming out in your muscles. And I think we all kind of have this desire to have a faith that that goes farther than what happens on the inside. And so when you're on your knees, I feel like it feels, it, it, it feels weird. Like this is weird being like here in front of you guys, but it also feels like where I need to be a lot more. Uh, we teach children to pray on their knees, right? Why do we do that? 
I mean, don't teach your kids to pray on your knees if you can't pray on your knees. We should pray on our knees. And it's not the only place to pray. You can pray in your car. You can pray when you're out in the woods. Like, you know, you can pray anywhere. I get that. But there is a place for going to your knees in prayer. And if you're too embarrassed, close the door and do it in your home. Try, try, try there. I mean, just do it. And I think that God's going to work through that. Number four, pray throughout the day. I think it's First Thessalonians talks about praying without ceasing. What does that mean, praying without ceasing? For me, it means these little like shotgun prayers or uh, rifle shot prayers, I call them. Rifle shot prayers throughout the day. It's kind of like I see something go on and I just pray. Or I go through the, the, the line at Starbucks and I look that lady in her, in her eyes that gives me the cup. She's a human being, you know? And I just think about her as a person for a second. I just pray for her, you know? I look at my kids, I pray for them. I see something on the news, I'm just going to pray. And it's not going to be long and it's not going to be articulate, you know? It's just going to be a little, little rifle shot prayer. And God's going to hear that. God is going to hear your rifle shot prayers throughout the day. And I think it's going to change the way that your days go. Here's the thing. When you pray regularly, irregular things are going to happen on a regular basis. When you pray regularly, irregular things will happen on a regular basis. If you're like, I don't see God moving. I don't, I don't notice God in my life. It's probably because you're not a person of prayer. If you're listening to God and speaking to God, you're going to see things that are going on around you. Things are going to break your heart that used to not break your heart. Things are going to bring you joy that used to not bring you joy. And you're going to start to see things that are happening in this world. If you're somebody who's praying all the time. Number five, this is the last one. Pray together. We believe in this. It's powerful if you pray on your own. It's powerful if you're praying at work and and, and praying at home by yourself. But there's power when people gather together to pray. As a church, there's power when we all go to our knees and pray together. And James closes out with this. He helps us to zoom out of all of this prayer stuff and see what our greater mission is about. Why are we praying? Why are we doing all this? Verse 19 says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This, this word wandering in the Greek is planeo. The word planet comes from that. Like planets, they, they kind of wander and orbit around the sun. There's this wandering that happens. We have a whole city full of wanderers. Maybe some of you have wandered and come back. We have a lot of people in our church who call themselves the de-churched. Where they have a story of, I used to go to church and then I didn't for a really long time. And I'm just kind of starting back up again. I'm so glad that you're coming. But what is our job in all of this? We, uh, I don't know if you were here last Easter. We had our first Easter egg drop, which was insane. We rented out a helicopter uh, from down in Anchorage who flew out over our property with 10,000 Easter eggs and dropped them on the property. It was nuts. So we advertised this. We thought, you know, maybe 800,000 people we'd get here. I think we had three or 4,000 people on the property. It was insane if you were here. We weren't ready for it. We didn't have enough volunteers for it. We didn't have any of the facilities ready for that kind of crowd of people. And nobody told me, but when you put candy in front of like, like 3,000 little children, it gets crazy. It gets crazy. So like I'm on the mic and I say, go, 
and there are children getting trampled, parents running out, jumping over other little kids, teenagers grabbing at candy, children crying. I'm like, oh, this is a big win. This is great. I mean, it was, it was, it was amazing and, and awful all at once. But anyway, like most things in life. Uh, and so this is all going on. People are rushing for candy. And I look over at the tent where we've got the speakers and I see our volunteers like doing this to me. And I come over and I see this line of children and they're all crying, right? And they're like, we have lost children everywhere. In, in the midst of all the chaos, children are wandering away and parents are losing their kids. And so I'm doing like, I'm doing like toddler bingo on the mic. I'm like, Billy Nelson, we have a Billy Nelson, uh, Julie Watson's mom. Do we have a Julie Watson's mom? And so like, then the parents start showing up. And it was so interesting watching the parents as they, as they come to the kids. You've got the first mom and she's crying. Oh, I'm so glad to see you. I'm so scared and I lost you. And then she like walks off with a little girl. Then you got the next dad and he's like, oh man, what did you do? You ran off. And he's all mad and he's frustrated and he's like, come here. And he runs off with him, you know, he gets his kid. And so before I know it, like the line's dwindling down. I remember though, there's one kid that was there for a really long time. And he's just like, got my candy, you know, he's okay. And the crowd's starting to diminish and he's still hanging out there. And I'm like, any, it's a child, right? And finally, like the crowd's kind of going away and he's still standing there. And I see this group, this family over here and they walk up and they're like, hey, and he's like, and he goes, he kind of walks off, off he goes. And I'm like, Really? That's your kid. You like weren't worried about it at all. Like, I mean, this child is 3,000 people. I mean, you don't know what happened. He's, it's like, hey, come on, let's go. You know, jumping back. I was blown away. Man, aren't you convicted that, that that's our heart many times in the church? They were like, hey, lost, wandering person, the door is open. You can come in if you want to. Instead of being the kind of people that are feverishly searching for those who need the hope of Jesus. That's our mission, church. That's what we're here to do is to seek out that which is lost because we're not okay with them being lost. And maybe there's tears. and Maybe there's frustration, but it begins with prayer. So I want you to reach down on your, on your chair. You might have got a little card um, on the seat there but there should be a card somewhere around you. Grab it real quick. And it says, who are you praying for? And that's my question for you today. Now, some of you guys might know exactly who it is immediately. You're like, I've got two names. I've got 10 names. But some of you don't really know who to put on that list. Maybe somebody on that list, and I want you to pick people that don't know Jesus. Maybe somebody on that list um, has some kind of issue going on in their life right now. And you're like, I need to bring them to church this Christmas season. I think that they're open to it. Maybe somebody on that list is far from God and they're the last person that you think would ever step foot in this church. Here's the beauty of this. When you pray, it's like saying, it's not my job to save them. It was never your job. But we go out and we share the good news and we invite people in. And that's what we do. So before you leave church, if you just need to write down a couple names here during worship or right now, I want you to fill that card out. And here's my experiment. We've done this all three services. You guys are the last service. I want you to, if you would, make a commitment here. 
For the next seven days as a church, we're going to pray for our lost friends, the ones on this list. I want you to take this home and, it, and, and put it on the dash of your car, put it on the mirror at your house, put it somewhere where you're going to see it, put it on the refrigerator. I don't know, I don't know where you go all the time. You know, put it on the remote to the TV, like before I watch TV, I'm going to pray for my buddies. Put it somewhere and once a day, I want you guys, can you make the commitment to praying for them once a day? Just that God would be evident in their life and would show up. You guys do that? Some nods? Cool. Because I think some cool stuff's going to happen in seven days. Think about that. Think about everybody in ACF Church praying for our lost friends. And I just want to close with this. Your prayers are powerful and they matter. And I know that sometimes it feels like they don't. I know that sometimes you're like, God doesn't do what I want him to. But uh, I grew up going to uh, my, my family's farm in Maine. So my parents met in Maine and moved away. And I used to spend every summer when I was a kid going to the farm, working at the farm, they had a dairy farm. And I remember waking up one morning and I come downstairs in the farmhouse and there's my grandmother and grandfather. And they've got a candle lit. They've got their Bibles opened up. It's like five in the morning. Got their coffees. And there they are praying. And then I came down the next day and I saw it again. There they are praying. And I remember finally I worked up the courage to come out around the corner and interrupt this thing. And they're like, come on, come sit with us. So I sit down with grandma and grandpa. They hold my hands. We, uh, we read the Lord's Prayer together. That was their tradition in the morning. Start off with the Lord's Prayer. And I remember my grandmother saying, we're praying for you too. And I believe that. My grandmother was a praying woman. And you know, as a kid, you don't really know what that means. I don't know what she's praying for. I guess that's cool. But she was praying for me. I know she was praying for my salvation. I know she was praying that I would understand my need for grace. And it wasn't until after junior high school, into high school, that I actually got that. And my grandmother had long since passed away. What you need to know is that when you pray, you're praying to the God that created time, that created space, that created this world. He's an infinite, all-powerful God that has always been and always will be. And so when you pray to this eternal God, your prayers become eternal. I don't know if you know this, but if you're saved, if you're a believer here today, you've got a, you've got a spiritual lineage. Even if you're not, even if you're here and you're just checking out church, you have a spiritual lineage. We've been praying for you for a while. I've been praying for you. I didn't know your name, but I'm glad that you came here. Your prayers are powerful and they transcend even your life. You might be praying for your kids and your kids' kids and your kids' kids' kids and God may, he may, may start a revival in your family and, you know, who knows, 50, 100 years. Or maybe you're the first generation believer in your family and you're like, it's a hard road to hoe. My family, they think I'm nuts. You know, going to church on Sundays, doing this stuff. I don't, they don't know what this is about, but somebody somewhere was praying for you. Maybe it was a family member generations ago and you're restarting this thing and maybe it was somebody in this church. Maybe it was the friend that's sitting next to you. I don't know who it is. But know this today. When you pray, when you talk to God, He listens. So let's pray together. Jesus, thanks for your grace today. I thank you that you're in this space with us and that you're big enough for all of our doubts and our fears all of our anger and our frustration, our selfishness and our pride. As a community, God, I pray that we would be people who trust you. And God, would you help us in our lack of trust? Would you give us faith beyond our own ability? God, I thank you that the pressure's off. 
I thank you that it's not on us to heal. It's not on us to fix things, but it's on us to simply go to you, God. And we, we see, God, that you listen to our prayers. And somehow, God, when we pray, it changes things. Maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, I'm, I'm not a believer in Jesus, but I want to be. I want you to know that there's one prayer that God always answers. And it's just save me. If that's you today, pray with me. Jesus, I ask that you would save me. Father, I know that I can't fix it on my own, and I feel like the, the plane's crashing, whether it's in my life or in the world around me, and things are just plain beyond my own abilities. So God, I ask for your grace. I ask that you heal me. Take away my fear. God, I pray when I mess it up, I would trust that your grace is enough to cover my sin. Father, we're here today as a community that just needs your help. Uh, in our own lives, God, in our, in our city, in our nation, in a, in a dark state where there's depression and struggle, God, and the Christmas season when everybody looks happy and yet behind closed doors, the same marriage issues are still there, God. The same problems at, at work and at home are still there. God, the same depression is still there. God, I pray that, uh, God, that you'd be doing amazing miracles around us. And God, would you, would you show us some of those this week? That's my prayer. I pray for somebody in this room that doesn't think that you work through prayer, God, that you would show them that you're there and reveal some of what you're doing behind the scenes to them. God, and as we worship, I pray that these also will be prayers from our heart, giving you the praise and the honor that you deserve, that you cover our sins. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. If, you, uh, if you're a new believer and you made a commitment to follow Jesus today, just grab one of those communication cards and check the box that says commit my life to Christ uh, just so that I can be praying for you. Love you guys.